several Sundays, you will know that I have been trying to preach from some Old Testament Bible characters. One of the reasons that I do this is that doctrines in the Scripture are often more easily understood when we see how they are worked out in people's lives. We can talk about the sovereignty of God, how he rules over all things. And when we look back over life, we can see how he's ruled over our lives, often to deliver us from pitfalls and to help us. When we look back over a life like the life of Joseph, which we looked at last week, we saw an incredible Christ-like figure who endured temptation and successfully resisted it, and who forgave those who were cruel to him, and who had great wisdom and great character. Today we come to another Bible character, one who is almost a tragedy, because he was meant to be special for God, and God did use him, and he has a place in God's hall of faith in the 11th chapter of the epistle to the Hebrews. But in his life we learn lessons uh, which should be avoided rather than imitated. God used him as a judge for 20 years, and in the end of his life he probably used him to destroy the leadership of people who would have certainly destroyed the, Is the Israelites. And yet we are grateful that the Bible presents to us no cosmetic figures. No public relation man went over the script and erased everything that he didn't think would look good for people to read. But the canon of scripture reminds us of when Oliver Cromwell was being painted. And the artist suggested that he place his chin down on his hand so that it would his hand would cover a disfiguring wart. And Cromwell, the great Puritan, said, you will paint me warts and all. And this is the way it is in the Bible. The beginning of this man is wonderful, but in his life there are things from which we may learn to avoid, and then in the end we will see God's grace redeem him. But let me read to you a part of the 16th chapter. These words will be familiar to you. Now Samson went to Gaza and he saw a harlot there and he went in to her. And when it was told the Gazites saying, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night and they said, let us wait until morning and then we will kill him. Now Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose, and he took hold of the doors of the city and the two posts, and he pulled them up along with the bars, and then he put them on his shoulders, and he carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite Hebron. And after this it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Zorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came to her, and they said to her, Entice him and see wherein his great strength lies, how we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we shall give you eleven hundred pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength is, 
and how you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like other men. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. And now she had men lying in wait in an inner room. And she said to him, The Philistines be upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as a string of toe snaps when it touches a fire, so his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have deceived me. You have told me lies. Now please tell me how you may be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me tightly with new ropes which have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. For the men were lying in wait in the inner room, but he snapped the ropes from his arms like thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, up to now you have deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my hair and the web and fasten it with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And so while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his hair and wove them into a web and she fastened it with a pin and said to him, The Philistines be upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep, and he pulled out the pin of the loom and the web. And then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me wherein your great strength is. And it came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was annoyed to death. So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands, and she made him to sleep on her knees. And she called for a man, and she had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. And then she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines be upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines seized him, and they gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza. 
and they bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. And the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to rejoice. For they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God and said, Our God has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of our country, who has slain many of us. And it so happened when they were in high spirits that they said, Call for Samson, that he may amuse us. And so they called for Samson from the prison, and he entertained them. And they made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the boy who was leading him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. And now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women were on the roof, looking on while Samson amused them. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time. Just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested he braced himself against them, the one with his right hand, the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. And so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. And his brothers and his father's household came and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Ashdol at the tomb of Manoah, his father. Thus he had judged Israel 20 years. May God bless to our learning this part of his word. Let us all pray. And now, God, our heavenly Father, we bless thee that thou hast given us a part in the work of thy kingdom. We thank thee that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable to us for reproof and for correction. And we thank thee that holy men of old have preserved for us what we read today so that we might be instructed for this sensuous and sensual age in which we live, how to avoid those things which are pitfalls and how to live faithfully to Jesus Christ. We pray, O oh God, that you will bless us, that we will take seriously the opportunities we have and use the great privileges which are ours in America especially, and especially where the Bible is open and free to be preached, and take these gifts which we bring and use them to bring the knowledge of salvation to many people through faith in Jesus Christ and make the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I'm going to try to abbreviate as much as I can, but I do want to begin by showing you something that is a little unusual because of the wonderful violin 
lesson that we had a moment ago, and I do agree that the choir often brings to us messages in song that are strong from God's word. Probably the greatest violinist in the history of violin was a man by the name of Niccoli Paganini. And in some respects, his life almost parallels some of what Samson did. He was once playing before a packed house that was surrounded by a full orchestra. He was playing some difficult pieces, and he came to one of his favorite violin concertos. And shortly after he was underway in the piece, and the Italian audience, which all but worshipped him, sat in rapt attention, one of the strings of his violin snapped. It fell and hung ungloriously on the instrument. Paganini, relying upon his genius, improvised and he played on the next three strings. To his surprise and to the conductor's astonishment, shortly thereafter, a second string broke on his instrument. Now there were two strings dangling as he began to improvise and play the piece on the remaining two strings. And you guessed it. Almost at the end of that magnificent concerto, the third string snapped. Now there are th three strings that were hanging there, and he finished playing on one string. And when he finished, there was wave after wave of applause through the audience that was absolutely spellbound by his incredible genius. Paganini wanted to take it a little further. And he signaled to the audience to be seated. They were standing. He held up his violin and nodded to the conductor and to the orchestra. And for an encore, he played on one string. And when he finished, he said, Paganini, and one string. Well, Paganini was a genius with the violin. There's no question about it. He had an, or, an attitude that was strong and powerful, and he had great gifts and skills. And when we see a beautiful figure like that of Joseph and the week before that of Daniel, who stood powerfully to God, we can see how God can bring great things out of a life that's truly yielded to his unerring skill. And then we come to this man today whose lesson is meant also for our edification, for building us up in the faith. And I'm sure that most of the little boys that are here, and most of us who can remember being little boys in Sunday school, used to wear out our Bibles looking at the pictures of Samson. It was funny, I, I, I never knew anyone named Samson, except the dog that Billy Graham had that I didn't like, a big one. He'd bite you. And uh, uh, a big old St. Bernard and something else. Uh, but boy, he was something. He looked like a cross between an alligator and a St. Bernard. Uh, it was Samson... I, do you know anyone named, I don't know any children named Samson. And you wonder why. 
until you read his story. And then you begin to learn why. He was a great, strong man. He was powerful. I can remember when Paul Anderson, weightlifter in the whole world, was just near us over at Blue Ridge at one of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes conferences. And uh, young people, that, young boys that I couldn't interest in anything else, I said, what do you all want to do? And they said, go see Paul Anderson. And they wanted to see Paul Anderson pick up a Volkswagen. And he did. They wanted to see him stack a whole number of people on some boards and lift them all up because they were wowed by the tremendous strength that he had. And so that's what we principally remember about Samson. We think about his great strength. He was also the strongest but also the weakest man in the Bible. His story begins in the 13th chapter of the book of Judges because he has the glory of being one of those people whose birth is announced by an angel from God. He was from the tribe of Dan and his father's name was Manoah. We do not know who his mother was, but we know that she was barren, that she could have no children. And this, of course, inflicted great sorrow and pain upon her. And she is visited by an angel from God who comes as a special messenger. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for forty years. And there was a man by the name of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said, Behold, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now, therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink nor to eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. That gives us one of the keys he shall begin to deliver Israel. And I'm glad the Bible paints us true figures that are here. The Bible tells us that the gift of God lies in the gift of life. And I am dreadfully afraid of being a part of a denomination that votes 800 to 100 to kill unborn infants. You can call the medical garbage and throw that unborn infant away. 13 million have been estimated to have been killed in this insane holocaust of lust and murder. But God will one day exact his own judgment for such crimes. Someone told me the other day, but don't you know that every child should be wanted? That's not a very good reason. Wanted? Adolf Hitler didn't want a lot of Jews. So he killed him. You can't make something so subjective as that, that just because you don't want, you kill. That would do away with a lot of us. You don't operate that way. Life is a gift from God in the womb. And the angel here says so. But behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. 
And you shall not drink wine or strong drink nor eat any unclean thing, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. God's hand is on this baby that is to be born. Manoah had not seen the angel, the angel that appeared unto his wife. And so Manoah later seeks this visitor from God who brings to him the message. And he says to him, Let the man of God, whom thou sent, O Lord, come to us, that he may teach me what to do for the boy who is to be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And so the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other day is here. And then the angel of God tells them that this boy is to be raised as a Nazarite. And if you read in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, you will read about a Nazarite. That a Nazarite is to take no uh, wine nor beer, no strong drink. That he is holy to God. That a razor is not to touch his head because there was no iron implement to come over him. And that there are other rules that separate him and consecrate him especially to the service of God. And so it happened in his life. And this boy was born and he is called Samson, which means sunny. He must have had a, a sunny disposition. He was a great prankster, we know that much. But Samson, in his relationship to his parents, we read in chapter 14 that Samson went down to Timnah and he saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines, that's outside his faith and an enemy of the people of God. And he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines, therefore get her for me to wife. And then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your own relatives or among all our people that you should go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. He had a strong sexual desire and nature, and he simply wanted to gratify that nature. And so his family went down and uh, sought to arrange a marriage with this woman, and they did. And there is a marriage feast that takes place, and Samson, who's the big, hulking, strong man, but a sort of country bumpkin whom the Philistines are not impressed by, Samson had killed a young lion on the way there. And on the way back from the killing of that lion, he had seen some honey in the carcass of the lion. And he had taken of the honey and eaten it. But he also had quite a bright mind. He gave to them a riddle because these wedding feasts would go on for days. And so he said to these people to sort of show off his brain as well as his brawn. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. And they couldn't tell the riddle, and if they didn't tell it, they were supposed to supply him with 30 uh, garments, uh, 30 
changes of raiment within so many days and linen wrappings. And so then they did this thing, and this is why I went all the way back to this in verse 15. Then they came uh, about the fourth day, and they said to Samson's wife, you see, his downfall is women. The only godly woman in his life was his mother. Entice your husband that he may tell us the riddle. And they threaten her if she does not do so. And so Samson's wife wept before him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have proposed a, a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not told it to me. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told it to my own father or mother. Why should I tell it to you? However, she wept before him seven days while their feast last, lasted, and it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so hard. You can imagine what that was like. So then he told the riddle to the sons of her people. And so the men of the city said to him on the final day, before the sun went down, they had the secret. What's sweeter than honey? What's stronger than a lion? And the next lines are classic. He said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. He knew what happened. His weakness was women, and he had told this woman that he was marrying, and she had told him. But then to get back at them, he goes and kills 30 Philistines and supplies them with their raiment. For Samson was a powerful man. And then in chapter 15, we read how he set the Philistines' cornfields ablaze during a time of drought when they had also been hard upon him. He was delivering his people. Now, you have to look at him as a guerrilla fighter. It's a funny thing. We got a lot of people who don't want to take Samson seriously in the Bible, and yet they glorify guerrilla fighters and freedom fighters all over the world. Well, here is a freedom fighter. He was fighting for the freedom of Israel, for the people of God, and he is fighting against the Philistines, and he is going to be a judge of them, but he has great weakness of, weaknesses of character, which we have uh, been seeing. And then, of course, there came the famous incident in which he slew a thousand of them with the jawbone of a newly dead donkey. He was a powerful man, and uh, you can see uh, what he does here. And then uh, he is summoned to Gaza in chapter 16. There was a harlot there. There again he gives in to his sensual nature. He's not keeping that part of his Nazarite vow. And he went into her. And that's what I read a moment ago. And uh, when they realized that he was in the house, they plotted to kill him. Uh, but uh, their plot didn't work. Samson got up at a certain time of the night and he left the woman that he was with and he went out to Gaza and picked up the, the gates of the city and took them up on a tall hill and put them up there. It would be like going out to Owen High School and getting the Owen High School war horse and taking it over to Reynolds High School and sticking it up on top of the building. Uh, it, it was a prank that illustrated his great proudness and his great strength. And he did this thing. He had great power, uh, and yet he uses it in this way. 
Uh, he is not taking seriously the opportunities that he has for God. And then, of course, in chapter 16, we come to the conclusion of it, which I just have time to review for you. But let me encourage you to read these stories, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Because here we see that the Philistines have got to figure out some way to get Samson. They do not know where his great strength lies. But remember this, they know where his great weakness lies. And his great weakness is in his sensual, sex-oriented nature. This is what is happening in America today. Every time you turn on the television set, every time you see the movies come out, sexier and sexier and sexier, and the first sign of a decaying, rotting civilization is an exaggerated emphasis upon sex. And all of human history is littered and cluttered with the bones of history uh, of civilizations who gave in to it. It gets kinkier and kinkier. Men go after men. So that some insane preachers are talking of the ordination of unrepentant practicing homosexuals. A minister is to be an example to the flock of God. How on earth could you possibly reconcile that with the account of what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, with the demands of purity taught by Jesus Christ, with the first letter, with the first chapter of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. He lived in a day when that was rife among the people. But we see this, and this form of thing leads to the downfall of many. They did not know where Samson's strength lay, but they knew where his weakness lay. Now, it's one thing to keep the gates of this city at the points that are glaring. My father was an alcoholic, my brother is an alcoholic, and I've worked with alcoholics for 30 years, so booze is no temptation to me. I can say no thank you to anyone from the president to the ambassadors to anyone else. It doesn't make any difference to me. I made a commitment a long time ago and I'm going to stick to it. But I, there are other areas of my life. Am I praying like I ought to pray to God? Am I also careful about those commands that have to do with the fruits of the Spirit regarding love? Regarding the practice of charity and kindness? Am I willing to do the things that are required of me there so you can guard one gate and let the enemy come in by another? Samson's particular weakness here is women, and so this is where his enemy knows his weakness. And then they go and deal with Delilah. They offer her a huge amount of money. And so Delilah brings him in. And this is full of such spiritual lessons that I've just, we won't sing the last hymn so that I can get this part in. I want you to, to catch this because it's very important. Delilah is chosen because she is a beautiful person and she is also smart. 
and Samson was attracted to her. The Philistines knew that they couldn't take him. He had already killed too many of them. And so they go to Delilah, and they say his weakness is women. You entice him. Go home and read the seventh chapter of the book of Proverbs, and you'll read an account that seems mighty old-fashioned but right up to date about what happens to people who are enticed by sensual-oriented people. And so Samson is enticed by this woman. She brings him into an inner room. She speaks to him, and she tells him, tell me the secret of your big strength. And Samson, still the clown, says, well, if I were bound with fresh cords that have not been dried, then I should become like other men. And so she has this done, and then has people lying in wait to capture him. And then you know the story, how that she says, Samson, the Philistines be upon you, and he breaks those cords immediately. And then she whines again to him. When he comes back to her, he's so dumb to go back again. And you say to me, why is he so dumb? Why are you so dumb? Why am I so dumb? It's called the old Adamic nature. And the old nature dies hard. Anyone who doesn't believe in original sin never had a little boy. Anybody who doesn't believe in total depravity never had two. <laughs> Sometimes I think every sin some of our kids committed was original. But uh, it, it, you, we know that that old nature is there. And so Samson is a sucker for that old nature, and uh, he yields to it. He is bound a second time with cords, and he tells her another lie. But you see, he's trifling now with spiritual things, with the strength which was a gift from God, and he tells her a joke. And so he's bound with these cords, and then... When she says, Samson, the Philistines be upon you, when she has that same plot, he breaks those cords in two. And then he gets closer. The third temptation gets to his hair. And that hair symbolizes that vow that that angel of God had told his mother and his father, which should be upon him because he was to be a consecrated example to his flock and leader of his people. And so he gets closer to holier things now. And when he jests of holy things, he doesn't go all the way and tells her the secret. He says, if you wove my hair into a certain fashion and left the pin stuck through it, then I would be weak, but he is getting closer. And then she goes through the same routine. She has the Philistine soldiers hidden there and says, Samson, the Philistines be upon you. And he rises and tears the whole loom out and chases off the opponents that are there. And then she really turns it on. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have deceived me and told me lies. How can you say that you love me? And as one of my friends says, she probably cuddled him and said, Samson, why don't you go ahead and tell me the truth? 
and she kept on until she coaxed it out of him. And he told her a secret, a special secret between himself and God. And that phrase occurs again and again when Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart. He gave away his heart. The book of Proverbs says, keep your heart for out of it are all of the issues of life. She sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up once more for he told me all that is in his heart. The citadel of his soul has been revealed to her. And then the lords of the Philistines came up and they brought money in their hands and she made him to sleep on her knees. And that was when she called for a servant to come in and to shave away his hair. Thus symbolizing that the most sacred thing which God had revealed to him he had trifled with with her and then when she said Samson the Philistines be upon you there is the most pathetic one of the most pathetic verses to me in the Bible he awoke from his sleep and says I will go out as at other times and shake myself free he did not know that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. There's many an old dried up worthless preacher who doesn't know that the Spirit of the Lord has departed from him. There's many a Sunday school teacher and many a person who has let the years go by and who are too old to be tempted by the sins that tempted Samson. who do not know that the Spirit of God has departed because there's no more zeal to win souls to Christ. They've done their part in the church and they're not going to do any more. They've done too much for Jesus. They've given too much and are not going to give any more. You don't know the Lord. Or if you did, you've lost the blessedness that you knew when first you found the Lord. He wished not. He wished not that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. That's a terrible thing. There's a marvelous account of how Moses came down from the mountains and the people had to hide their hands to, because of the glory that shone for him. And Moses wished not that his face shone because the glory of God was upon him. But here Samson wished not that the glory had, and the power of God had departed from him. And so, let me summarize it this way. The reasons that he failed is that he abused the powers and the talents that God had given him. Another thing, he tried to do it all by himself. If there are other Christians that you know and you can unbur... I had a man, a big famous psychiatrist from another city, drive all the way, come and see me because he wanted to talk with me. He said, what do you do when you run dry spiritually? In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it tells us that two are better than one. 
for if one fall, the other can pick him up. That's why I'm so thankful my wife has helped me so many times. And so many other Christian friends, he tried to do it all by himself. He didn't control his life. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. He compromised his conviction. That's the name of the game now. Bigger is better. The more we get together, the happier we'll be. And a lot of people compromise their convictions in order to celebrate their getting together. He took spiritual things lightly. He didn't take that Nazaritic vow as he should. And so what does he tell us? He tells us not to be a victim of wasted and abused gifts. Use your gifts for God. Don't be a victim of arrogant self-sufficiency. Don't be a victim of self-indulgence in an uncontrolled life. The meism, the narcissism that is a part of the age in which we live. And don't be a victim of compromise and conformity. I see over and over again the film about Sir Thomas More, A Man for All Seasons. Because I love to see a man who would not compromise his faith. I'll never forget how I had chill bumps on me when I stood in Great St. Mary's in, in uh, Cambridge. And I thought of a wonderful uh, Church of England bishop who later was put to death in Oxford, who had signed a statement recanting his faith, and they thought they were going to make a display of him when they took him out to the, uh, his brother out to the stake, but instead he took the hand that had signed it, and to the consternation of those who were present, he placed it in the flames first. And his brother, that was Ridley and Cranmer, and Cranmer was the one who had betrayed and then recanted and then came back to the Lord. He was like Samson. He said just this once more. Don't be the victim of taking spiritual things lightly. They blinded his eyes, and they put him at the work of grinding in the mill house. And I think that in that time he began to repent of all the things that might have been in his life. And then that beautiful prayer that he made, one more time, Lord, one more time. How many times have I been with people who've made a prayer like that? Lord, just once more, I want to get serious with you. And I want you to speak to me. He realized the mess that he had made of things. And he said, just one more time, Lord, because he knew that 3,000 of the leadership of the enemy of God's people were there. People who could have ended the history of Israel right there. And that's why he's in God's Hall of Fame. God can do powerful things with a truly repentant soul. He can take a dying thief into heaven as the first fruit of the cross. And so Solomon's arms are placed on the key pillars in that temple. And then with one of those yells like those karate people have, when they push out, he made his prayer. And then with that enormous strength, he brought down that whole thing. And the leadership of the enemy of God's people were destroyed. And God used him. 
and he used him also to teach us lessons, lessons that we can learn from him and should learn from him too. An angel told about the birth of Jesus. An angel kept Jesus on his purpose in life. And an angel used Jesus' death because they came to him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so we can have a very different way of living because we can learn the pitfalls to avoid and the examples to follow from what we have seen in Scripture. Let us stand. Our Father, there is a great lesson to be learned for the generation in which we live from the life of Samson. And we thank you for him, warts and all, because we know that many of us have done terrible things, and you can forgive us, and we thank you for that forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ and that cross, that wonderful cross. And we pray that that forgiveness may make us clean and fresh so that your spirit may yet use us again. And for those who say a prayer to you now, asking you to give them a new opportunity in life to be faithful and true, help them to know that no matter what